WDIY Lehigh Valley Public Radio presents Lehigh Valley Discourse. Provocative, informative, and newsworthy, Lehigh Valley Discourse brings you the people and the issues that move and shape our region here on WDIY. Welcome back for the second segment of tonight's Lehigh Valley Discourse. I am your host, Karen Elchar, and our topic is parks, sustainability, and accessibility. When people talk about climate change, we we generally think of businesses and reducing carbon emissions or various greenhouse gases, but we at the local level also have the opportunity to impart positive change. And when discussions turn to social justice and environmental equity, again, we have a similar opportunity. So how can positive change be achieved? Well, through our local parks and recreation departments. I'm pleased to welcome my guests this evening, Ms. Ayanna Williams, Director of the Community and Environmental Resilience with the National Recreation and Parks Association. Welcome, Ayanna. Thank you, Karen. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, we have Miss Abigail Erickson, environmental science major at Muhlenberg College. Welcome, Abigail. Thank you. I'm also very happy to be here. So let's begin with Miss Williams. So, Ayana, can you give us a primer on the National Recreation and Parks Association? Absolutely. The National Recreation and Park Association, also known as NRPA, is the leading not-for-profit organization dedicated to building strong, vibrant, and resilient communities through the power of parks and recreation. With more than 60,000 members, NRPA advances its mission by investing in and championing the work of park and recreation professionals and also advocates. The catalyst for the positive change in service to equity, climate readiness, and overall health and well-being. And to that end, what are some of your initiatives? We have a number of initiatives that are um, really taking off right now. NRPA advocates for the substantial increase in infrastructure investments at the federal level, looking to prioritize local projects that will help communities get beyond the cycle of disaster response and recovery and into approaching the design of parks and also looking at building climate-ready parks that have the infrastructure to really take on some of the changes that we're seeing in terms of more flooding, there's droughts, you know, the heat. So really um, looking for people to invest in and really consider how the decisions they make at the local level in these parks and green spaces can be part of the solution. To that effort, we have training and certificate opportunities. We um, do research and we um, look at improving strategies around access to high-quality and climate-ready parks. Mm -hmm. And one of your major initiatives has been the 10-Minute Walk, the national campaign to improve safe and equitable access to quality parks and green spaces. So was there a specific event which prompted this initiative or how did it come about? Well, NRPA actually um, had been working for a number of years on creating healthier places through parks and recreation, and particularly through the lens of a whole community approach, looking at the entire community and identifying where there were park deserts or places that lacked a park space close to home. So we were looking at prioritizing investments in those types of locations. We believe that all people should have access to quality parks, and that 10-minute walk was a, it was a good um, you know, amount, not too far, not too close, right? So the 10-minute walk t- 
from their home would be an opportunity to access and experience the many benefits from a park. And we were able to partner with the Trust for Public Land as well as the Urban Land Institute to provide this campaign that's been going on since 2017. Since that time, 300 mayors have committed to the 10-minute walk. That's a phenomenal achievement. 300 mayors across the country. Well, we still have a, a way to go, don't we? Absolutely. While the campaign has been successful in reaching mayors and other elected officials to raise the importance of parks, it also has evolved quite a bit since it started in 2017. In particular, at NRPA, we recognize that in addition to the political and financial barriers that might be there, um, really making it harder to achieve the goal of increasing park access, there also is often a lack of knowledge and skills on applying the principles of equity to parks and recreation. So think about, for example, that there are many communities that are focused on the goal of the 10-minute walk and thinking specifically about where the gaps are in terms of location, but they might neglect to also think about investing in parks that are poorly maintained or spaces that don't reflect the culture of the community. And so we're asking that communities also look at the operations and the maintenance when they're thinking about where there may be a gap in their parks. So you have various tools and various mechanisms to assist communities, parks and recreation departments. What are some of the challenges you've actually found in order for these departments, various organizations to actually implement, for example, the 10-minute walk campaign or addressing infrastructure issues? I think that one of the biggest issues is funding. Many parks are funded by local taxes. And as you know, and those listening will know that there's always more to do in a city or town than there is money to do it. And so looking at being um, good stewards of the funding, you know, we definitely are also asking people to look at, you know, where have we been, been investing this money in the past? Where might there be deferred maintenance? Most park systems have a lot of deferred maintenance, and that could be playgrounds that haven't been replaced in 20 years. It could be basketball, po- basketball courts where you have weeds growing up, and it could be something as simple as, you know, your recreation center needs a new roof. And so all of those costs add up over time. And when we're looking at, you know, are we going to build new parks? Are we going to invest in those parks that are already there? I think that it's um, really important that communities have a comprehensive plan where they're able to do both and also looking at innovative ways, as I mentioned, where you may be able to bring together unique partnerships. They may be partnerships with other nonprofits. It could be a partnership with uh, business um, because parks really are good for the whole community. And so looking at it as a public asset and being creative about how we maintain and grow our park systems are really important. Mm-hmm. And what have you heard from the various parks departments or other organizations vis-a-vis COVID-19, you know, the, the recent pandemic and their challenges Across the country, we do see that um, people have um, a renewed interest in parks. So one of the safe places that you can go during the pandemic, you know, and spend time with your family um, and friends in a way that is safe. Also, parks are being used to distribute food and other essential items, both around the pandemic as well as um, as we see increasing um, issues around natural disasters. Um, the hurricanes that we've seen along the coast and, you know, some of the wildfires and the flooding. Parks are a safe place 
that people can come to get those essentials that they need, as well as an opportunity for recreation. It really becomes um, a real center of the community when there's not a lot of safe places to go. So I'm going to turn to Abigail. So we know that the Allentown Department of Parks and Recreation recently presented its findings on the 10-minute walk initiative to the Allentown City Council and administration. You were instrumental in actually conducting that analysis. Could you please explain the parameters and what your findings were? Yes, of course. So the 10-minute walk initiative is an effort seeking to help all people live within a half mile of a high-quality park or green space. Specifically for the Allentown analysis, information and data surrounding Allentown schools were obtained, including 15 data from 15 elementary schools, four middle schools, and three high schools within the Allentown School District. Allentown is a primarily minority population, and we want to ensure that everyone has equitable access to parks and green spaces and the numerous benefits that they provide. So demographic data from each school is obtained as the school's demographics are representative of the demographics of the surrounding neighborhoods. In order to in order to determine if everyone has equitable park access within Allentown, maps displaying a 10-minute walking distance or a half-mile radius from each school were created, and Allentown parks were plotted within those radii, radii to determine the number of parks within the 10-minute walking distances. Findings were that each school within Allentown has at least one park within a 10-minute walking distance, with the exception of three of the elementary schools and the middle school. Out of those schools, two of the elementary schools and the middle school each have their own green spaces on site. So that left one elementary school, which is Central Elementary School, as the only school within the Allentown School District that does not have a park or green space within a 10-minute walking distance. And so, as we think further the information that you've just obtained through this analysis. So what can be done with that? So currently our hopes are to find property and grants and get funding to create a park for Central Elementary School that is within a 10-minute walking distance of that school and that surrounding neighborhood. It would be really amazing if everyone has equitable access to all the numerous benefits that parks and green spaces provide. Very good work on the analysis. Now, I'll go back to Ayana. So have you received such analyses from other communities? Yes, absolutely. A big part of our work is encouraging, you know, that community engagement and those analyses that look at the system-wide um, the trends, you know, and taking that information and being able to act on it. So, this is um, really a great foundation for moving forward in this campaign. And then what do you do with all these findings? Well, part of what we do is we love to have the opportunity to share them with other communities so that they can use them as inspiration, right? Because a lot of people have similar issues around their parks and they're looking around to see where are the solutions and not just what are the solutions, what are the frameworks, what is the process to be able to go from knowing that you um, want to do something, but then to have the information that you need to be able to make good decisions. And not only do we look to share it with other park and recreation professionals, but we also provide tools to help communities share this information with their elected officials and other community leaders who are making decisions. And since parks and green spaces, as you mentioned earlier, are such vital components of any community, it does behoove 
administrations, government entities to do a good analysis and of their own situation and then provide for the various communities to ensure that, you know, the whole mental and the physical well-being of the population. So my guests are Ayana Williams of the National Recreation and Parks Association and Abigail Erickson, environmental science major attending Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We shall take a brief break, so please do stay tuned. Galactic Travels brings you hour-long soundscapes of electronic, ambient, and space music. That's Thursday night at 11, right here on WDIY Allentown, Lehigh Valley Public Radio, 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Many choices, real voices. Welcome back to Lehigh Valley Discourse. I'm your host, Karen Elchar, and if you're just joining us, my guests are Ayana Williams, Director of Community and Environmental Resilience with the National Recreation and Parks Association, and Ms. Abigail Erickson, Environmental Science Major at Muhlenberg College, and we're discussing parks, sustainability, and accessibility. So, Ayana, let's turn to you. NRPA has a number of additional initiatives which benefit the health and welfare of local communities. For example, Parks for Inclusion. Could you please tell us a little bit about that program? Absolutely. We really believe that um, equity is at the center of everything that we do and that it's important that parks are welcoming to all. And what that really entails is that we're really thoughtful and engaging, um, not just those that you already see in the park, but look around in your parks and think about who may not be there. You know, whether it be people who may have some physical limitations and can't physically get around your park, maybe it's people um, with certain cultural backgrounds or genders. You want to think about not only who is there, but who may be missing. And be intentional in inviting people out and listening to people, finding out why they're not there and making those corrective um, actions so that people are both physically welcomed in the park as well as that there's a culture of welcoming. And to that end, you also assist parks departments and other organizations with several tools, for example, guidelines for developing an inclusion policy. Can you talk about the, the various tools specifically related back to inclusion? Absolutely. As stewards of the land, we have the opportunity to ensure you know, um, that there's equitable climate solutions and that the parks are open to everybody. And we've developed really a suite of tools that range from best practice guides for planning, construction, and also managing parks. We have case studies that we share. As I mentioned, it's so important to share what's working, but also to share maybe where there are um, sticking points or conflict and looking for ways and inspiration around how other people work through that sort of um, conflict. We have briefing papers that take a deeper dive into looking at some of the key areas like community engagement, funding, and equity. We also have an evaluation framework that helps to determine what are the data points that should be measured and how can you measure that um, information so that you can show impact so that when we're doing these programs and we're spending these time, tax dollars 
we can um, share with communities and other stakeholders how these monies are being used and how they're really benefiting our communities and much more is being gotten out of these parks than the amount of money that we're putting into it. Where can one find all this information? You can visit our website, www.nrpa.org. And you have more initiatives than just that particular one? And what other kinds of initiatives are on your docket? One of my favorite programs is our Pollinator BioBlitz. And it's a yearly community service campaign that engages people in finding what biodiversity is in their community. And so in your area, it may be different what you see with biodiversity than if you talk to someone who's in Arizona or someone who's in San Francisco or even New York State. And so in alignment with our work to build community resilience, Parks for Pollinators is a campaign that focuses on raising the public awareness of the current pollinator crisis and encouraging local action to protect pollinators and native habitats. And this is it's really focused on the opportunity to build capacity to educate and engage communities through community science. Can you talk a little bit about the pollinator crisis? Yes. Most of us are aware that bees are um, threatened and that there's both an issue with the habitat so that when the bees are in the area, them having enough pollen to be able to thrive and raise new young baby bees. Probably they're not called baby bees, but, you know, um, to be able to have more generations of bees, you have to have a thriving habitat so that there's enough of the pollen for them to um, thrive. And then also, because the bees are um, not the only pollinators, there also are many pollinators in our communities that are not necessarily as well known as um, bees that are equally as important. And so, as the cities become more urbanized, you have more concrete, you have less meadows and just kind of wild open spaces, there's less places for the bees to find what they need and other pollinators as well. Mm-hmm. So we just want to think about these small pollinator gardens throughout a city can really make a difference in the population for pollinators. And I know a lot of people have an interest specifically in the monarch butterfly, obviously butterflies being pollinators. And there's, you know, so much information both on our website and in other places about what individuals can do in their homes as well as what we can do in public spaces like parks and schools. Let me turn to Abigail. So as a young person, you're a college student. What's the importance of green space to you regarding mental health or from an environmental perspective? Personally, uh, specifically being a college student, I just find it really beneficial for just like my mental health and even my physical health, just to get out into parks and green spaces and get out of the classroom a bit and just be out in nature to kind of take a breather from everything that's occurring. Yeah. And do you have a park or green space in your area? Yes, I actually have a couple within a 10-minute walking distance (laughs) of my school. Excellent. So, and so what do you find when you go into some of these green spaces? So what, what relaxes you the most about them? Just kind of sitting there and taking everything in all, like even just the sounds of the birds and just observing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really relaxing and nice for me. Right. And you feel refreshed when you're, when you go back to school? I do. I do. <laughs> Excellent. So the benefits of green spaces and parks.
Let me go back to IANA. So we were talking about various initiatives. Besides the pollinator aspect, the pollinator program, what else does NRPA uh, promote? Um, I had mentioned that um, one of our big initiatives is looking at equity and how we can really make sure that those principles are seen in our parks. And we do that through um, the way that the public spaces are designed, built, and maintained. So thinking about um, what are the amenities, you know, who influences how the spaces are used, how the communities are connected to a park or maybe disconnected from a park, the ability to foster strong social networks really can depend on your access to parks. And um, when we think about equity and we look at parks, you find that local parks and recreation spaces can really help to cultivate a sense of attachment and belonging in a community. Most people have memories, right, of playing in a park of their youth. There may be memories of you taking your own children to parks, whether it be for little league games or picnics or flying a kite. You know, parks can really foster so many memories, and we want people um, to have access to that regardless of their um social identities. I'm going to turn once again to Abigail. I know during your research, one of the items you discovered was access to parks and green spaces help to reduce crime. Can you expound on that? Yes. So commonly people assume that increased vegetation will lead to an increase of crime by offering hiding places for criminals or criminal acts. However, contrary to this belief, Maintain green spaces in parks actually reduce crime, as shown by a study in Chicago. It was found that vegetated spaces cut crime in half and that they actually inspire pride for surroundings, which translates into less litter and crime mm-hmm. and more people watching out for certain things. And so, Ayana, once more turning to you, so obviously that's another major selling point, potentially of increasing the number of green spaces and and parks. Any comment on that? Yeah, I think there definitely continues to be a need for increasing green space and being really thoughtful about how we do it and making sure that um, we're building parks and the green spaces for the communities that are there. And we're taking into account also Um, you know, what the world may look like in another five to 10 years when, you know, the world continues to warm. The summers, I know this year was hotter than I've seen within my lifetime. And, you know, thinking about shade structures and thinking about, um, you know, making sure that the parks are able to be used because a used park is really going to be the safest park. So, Ayana, anything else you'd like to impart on our listeners? Well, I would love to just share that this is really the perfect time of year to get out and enjoy all types of parks. Think about your local neighborhood park. Think about your regional park. And invite your family and friends, leaders from your community, elected officials, to share their favorite park memories and take the time to create some new memories. With the cooler weather um, in the this past week, I've actually enjoyed walking in the park with my mother, who is 75 years old. Mm-hmm. And yesterday we stopped and, you know, listened to the the little creek that ran through the park as we were walking. And you could hear the birds, uh, you know, chirping. And it just really, those are where you make your memories. And I would encourage people to get outside and make some memories this mm-hmm. time of year. Mm-hmm. And are you located in Virginia? I actually live in Atlanta, Georgia. Ah, so do the leaves change as much in the fall as they do up here in the Northeast? They do not. I grew up in Michigan, and I really miss the beautiful changing of the of the leaves in the fall. But it gets so hot, 
that just having the cooler weather is such a welcome relief that I still enjoy fall very much. (laughs) Wonderful. Same question for you, Abigail. Not in particular. I just would like to agree with Ms. Williams. Get out if you can. It's really great. And here in Allentown, the leaves are starting to slowly change, and it's going to be really beautiful. Yeah, so just get out if you can. Make memories. Enjoy the nature and everything that comes with it. So my guests have been Miss Ayanna Williams, Director of Community and Environmental Resilience with the National Recreation and Parks Association, as well as Ms. Abigail Erickson, Environmental Science Major at Muhlenberg College. Thank you both for an extremely informative discussion. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me as well. And my thanks to our listeners for joining us this evening for Lehigh Valley Discourse. Join me tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. for WDIY Classics. Until then, have a wonderful evening.